Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hope you are all well, witches. I thought I would have a little conversation from the heart to get things started. Um, I've had a little bit of a hesitation to record for a while. I love making the podcast. I sadly had a couple of knocks. I had a couple of trolls. And instead of doing the rational thing of just thinking on all of you lovely lot and all of the wonderful feedback that I get, I internalized it. I let it get to me and I started to find a fear for putting myself out there. And that spread to social media. So Instagram, I started to find it like, oh, trust me, this is like first world problems. And I know this sounds like really, you know, it can sound a bit silly, but yes, I started to just hide away from doing a lot of stuff that involved the internet. (laughs) So I wanted to explain first that I have realized that you must not let one or two people's opinions of you totally send you into the hermit cave and disappear and if I have put myself out there then I have to take the rough with a smooth and I'm also so grateful to all of you for all of your lovely words I've been so fortunate if I'm really honest in the social media world much more than others that I know so I am going to let that just go under the bridge those feelings for now and realize that that is going to be something that comes along with it and I'm going to be bolder and get back to who I used to be when I well I can't be that person that started this podcast out and you know was in my bedroom and no one ever listened to it but I am going to you know kind of grow a pair and get on with it (laughs) so I just wanted to say I am back and I've also had some thoughts on really what I want to do with this podcast. I felt like my, it wasn't that my heart wasn't in it, but I felt very nervous of putting stuff out and then therefore I didn't feel like I got as weird and wonderful as I like to. I started to play it a little bit safe in my mind. So with that said, and my apologies for this long intro, I am going to go back to doing what I love with a podcast. I'm going to go back to how I started out with this. And yeah, 
that's my thoughts. So I'm I'm here and uh, yes, I'm very excited to be doing this again. I love making the podcast and I'm sad that I let a couple of things knock me off course. So without further ado, let's stop waffling. Uh, we have a witchy fiction book to review today. Our episode overall is going to be about shape-shifting. I'm so excited to get into this topic and that, my friend, shows you again, how I feel about the podcast and doing this this way. Our witchy fiction book to review today. This was our book for December in Patreon. Our next book review will be nonfiction based on my current reads. Today's book is The Winter Witch. This is a particularly wonderful witch fiction book written by Paula Braxton, author of The Witch's Daughter. A book I previously reviewed on the podcast, The Witch's Daughter, I'm sure you remember. This is That's actually one of my all-time favourites. This book was fantastic. However, it still wasn't The Witch's Daughter level of being amazing. However, I definitely wholeheartedly recommend it. Set in the depths of Wales, we meet our main character, Morgana, who at the opening of the book is being married off to Kai, a local drover who is a widower, but he is expected to have a wife for his particular post. The opening of the book particularly stuck with me and gives you some good insight into the level of depth and descriptive abilities that the author has. Does the spider consider herself beautiful? When she gazes into a dewdrop, does her reflection please her? Her web is finer than the finest lace, her body a bobbin working her own whisper thread. It is the web people admire, its delicacy, its fragile strength. But the spider, poor creature, is thought of as ugly. She repulses some sends others into fainting fits, and yet she is beautiful, or so it seems to me. So nimble, so deft, so perfectly fashioned for the life fate has chosen for her. Like this one, here in my palm. See how she ponders her next step, testing the surface, this way and that, her tiny feet tickling my skin, the hairs on her body sweeping my hand as she moves. How can something so exactly suited to its surroundings, to its existence, not be deserving of our admiration? How can a form so elegant, so neat, so sleek, not be recognised as beautiful? Must everything be pretty to be adored? I just really love her style of writing. I felt this book deeply moving and intense. I adored the scenes where Morgana is honing her craft. They were particularly anxiety-inducing and magical. I found the scenes where Morgana and Kai head off droving fascinating. This, I learned, is where animals were taken across the land before we had huge you know, cattle trucks and so on in order to sell them at market. In the book, there are not only cows, but horses and sheep. And alongside that, some of the fellow drovers, like the wives of some of the drovers, are on foot knitting as they go in order to have wares to sell at the market. 
The combination of the described sounds, smells and behaviours of the animals whilst on this route is a lot to contend with. I felt as though I was there on the journey. So Morgana is the main character. I really grew to love her. She's bolshy, determined, wild. So much so her new husband begins to refer to her as his wild one. I loved her love of the land and animals. And the villain in this story is particularly vile. You find yourself getting angry on behalf of our main characters. The story also has the perfect amount of romance without it being too vomit-inducing. The cottage they live in sounds ever so twee. I fell in love with their housekeeper, Mrs. Jones. And one of the reviews on the cover of the book is sensitive, beautifully written. If the Bronte sisters had penned magical realism, this would have been the result. And I have to agree. Join me after the break to talk all about shapeshifting. Welcome back. So before we start talking about shapeshifting, I thought I would just mention a witchy film I saw recently. I don't know who I think I am doing uh, film reviews, but it is incredibly witchy. And if you enjoyed the film Witch, I feel you might enjoy this one. I felt it was almost like a British version. It's not a copy in any way. The storyline isn't similar, but the filming, like aesthetically, so on point. I believe it was directed by the guy that does the Poldark series. And wow, he made it witchy as. I can't figure out if I enjoyed it or not. Same as I felt about the film Witch. However, I've watched that film multiple times, so I must enjoy it. But it just was so dark, so bleak. It's quite a hard watch, but amazing and the witchy scenes in it are just so good I think it also links into the winter witch book that we reviewed today just in regards to giving you an idea of life in the Welsh valleys how hard it can be as well in that time in that era and also the relationship between the church and throwing around like accusations of witchcraft so yes I definitely would give that a go great little witchy film. Anyway, let's get into shape-shifting. From gods and goddesses to witches and sorcerers, to strange, dangerous, supernatural entities that haunt the worlds, Celtic mythology and folklore have an abundance of shape-shifters. The idea of the transformation of a human to animal or other form predates the Celts, and examples are found in the rock art of ancient people all around the world. In mythology, folklore and speculative fiction, shapeshifting is the ability to physically transform oneself through an inherently superhuman ability, divine intervention, demonic manipulation, sorcery, spells or having inherited the ability. The idea of shapeshifting is in the oldest forms of shamanism, as well as the oldest existent literature and epic poems, such as the Epic of Gilgamesh and the Iliad. The concept remains a common literary device in modern fantasy, children's literature and popular culture. 
Shapeshifters are found within folklore from around the world. We hear of it either being controlled, where an individual can shapeshift at will, perhaps with the use of a spell or ritual, or we see the shapeshifting process as a curse or punishment upon someone. So, of course, in Irish mythology, the Morrigan was a shapeshifting war goddess who could transform into a woman of any age and also change into animal or bird form. She had the power of prophecy and as a war goddess would sing her people to victory in battle. Sometimes she could be seen swooping over the battlefield in the form of a raven or crow and devouring the bodies of the slain. In the story of the Tain Bokalina or the Cattle Raid of Cooley, the Morrigan appears as a crow to warn the bull named Don Kalina that Queen Maeve is plotting to abduct him. Queen Maeve attacks Ulster after the bull but is resisted single-handedly by the hero Cúcalain, fighting a series of duels with her champions at a ford. In battle, Kukulain undergoes a spectacular change in his form described as a reostrad or warp spasm that sees his body twist and contort into the most grotesque and fearsome appearance terrifying his opponents. So in between the duels, the Morrigan appears before Kukulain as an attractive young woman seeking his love and offering her help. He rejects her, and I know we've talked about this story before, and of course, feeling slighted, she seeks revenge by aiding his opponents. First, she turns into an eel and trips him. Next, she turns into a wolf and causes a herd of cattle to stampede towards the ford. Lastly, transforming herself into a heifer, she leads the stampede. Despite the magical shape-shifting, she fails, and Kukulain manages to wound her on each of her transformations. Later, she transforms into an old woman, milking a cow bearing the three wounds. She offers him milk to drink and he blesses her, healing her wounds, which he later regrets. In Welsh mythology, we see humans take the form of animals, birds, and even flowers and transformed into maidens. In the story of Math Fab Mafonwi, the fourth branch of the Mabinogi, the maiden, Bloodyred, was created by Math and Gwydion out of the flowers of broom, meadowsweet and oak, and later transformed into an owl. Gwydion had earlier undergone a series of transformations, changing into a stag, sow and wolf, even producing offspring as a punishment inflicted by Math. Arguably one of the most exciting and extraordinary examples of shapeshifting appears in the story of the birth of Taliesin and Keridwem. Kelpies are a different kind of entity in Scottish folklore. They are dangerous, supernatural, horse-like entities with shapeshifting abilities that dwell in rivers, pools and locks. According to tradition, lone travellers sometimes encountered them lingering near watery places. They often take the form of a beautiful maiden or horse, but can also adopt other guises, such as that of an old man. One sign of their true identity can be revealed when waterweed is noticed entangled in their hair. 
folk tale from the island of Barra tells how an amorous male Kelpie transformed into a handsome young man hoping to seduce and marry a local girl. While the young man was sleeping, she noticed he wore a silver necklace, which was really his bridle. She removed it and he transformed into a horse. The girl took the horse to her father, who was a farmer, and he put it to work for a year. When the year was up, she took it to a wise man, seeking his advice. He advised her she must give the silver necklace back, which she did, and the horse transformed back into the handsome young man. The wise man asked the younger man if, given the choice, he would prefer to live as a Kelpie or a mortal man. The young man asked the girl she would be prepared to marry him if he kept his human form. She confirmed that she would, and the Kelpie chose to be a mortal man and married the girl. Usually, shapeshifters are witches or shamans who are close to a certain animal, being that their familiar spirit. Thus, they can transform into this creature due to their close relationship that they've nurtured as a contract or a binding pact. It's like a I help you, you help me kind of situation. Many of the old witches were believed to be able to go back and forth, changing forms. Moreover, they could bless or curse others into transforming them to something else. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. For example, Cersei, one of the most powerful witches ever recorded, transformed men into pigs. Since then, many witches were believed to be able to have completed such spells. Hence, our beloved fairy tales are full of witches in disguise. There are other witches who blessed or cursed people turning back and forth into their forms. And with this in mind, I thought we could take a look at the hair. This is one of the most common forms that witches were always said to have been transformed into. Now, the hair has a deep-rooted association with the hedge witch and magic from the hedgerows, female deities and the moon. This mystical supernatural creature has long been seen as a liminal creature that by the light of the moon straddles both our mundane world and the other world. Hairs have long been revered as sacred and hold association with Celtic goddesses, transformation, rebirth, abundance, new beginnings, fertility, longevity, immortality and of course shape-shifting. Historically, to sight a moon-gazing hair foretold good fortune and abundance. The Celts worshipped the hair and wouldn't eat their meat or kill them throughout the year, except for at Beltane. Queen Bodicea, Boudicca, however you pronounce it, was said to divine using the entrails of a hair as a form of augury to determine her uprising against the Romans, circa AD 61. 
when I knew we were going to be talking about shape-shifting, I knew I had to talk about the hair because it has so many links to shape-shifting and the craft overall. An old pagan custom was to kill a hare and bury it in the foundations of a new home. This practice continued into the Middle Ages and beyond, with the belief that the spirit of the animal would protect and guard the household against evil. The bodies of cats and also horse heads were more usually used for this tradition, and we see this in the film Gwen and also the Winter Witch book I've mentioned today. So the synchronicities are just wow. In Cornish folklore, a hare sighted along the harbour at sundown was thought to be the harbinger of imminent temperance or the spirit of a broken-hearted maiden determined to haunt her faithless lover. It had an overall omen of foreboding and trepidation. Hares are linked to female deities such as Artemis, Nerthus, Diana and Istra, and are often viewed as the messenger of these female deities. An old Welsh belief was that the hare had the ability to change sex every month. Hare was often considered the animal a witch would shapeshift into by the Christian church. By entering into the hare form at night, it is said that the witch could destroy crops, steal milk and dairy products, and overall cause all manner of mischief and malignant deeds. It's thought the hare shares similarities with humans due to their ability to stand on their hind legs. Although a silent creature, when in distress, they can make a somewhat human-like cry. Some believed the hare to be the witch's familiar rather than the witch in her shape-shifted form. The hare is a distinctly nocturnal and solitary creature, which can account for why they are often seen after dark basking in moonlit fields. A fee-for, and if you're looking it up, it's spelt F-I-T-H space F-A-T-H. So a fee-for gives you fee-fi-fo-fum vibes, is an ancient Celtic term for a shape-shifting spell a charm that was spoken as a simple protection prayer, but also for shamanic journeying purposes, to move within the other world and its varying levels, connecting with a shamanic guide or ally to experience transformation and to return with whatever they found whilst journeying. So men would often opt to transition into a bull, and obviously we saw this earlier in the Ku Kalein story, or a horse, and women into the form of a hare or a cat. So a simple example of a fee-for is, I sail go into a hare with sorrow and sick mickle care. I sail go in the devil's name, and while I come home again. Then on returning to the mundane world, you would speak, Hare, hare, God send thee care. I am in a hare's likeness now, but I shall be in a woman's likeness even now. So fee-fours were also used to create a magic cloud, obscuring an individual from sight by naming those that they wish to hide themselves from, hide themselves from their sight or even draw power from them so that they can continue to be guarded and accomplish what they have set out to do. 
So the fee for I read out to you was spoken by Isabel Gowdy. You may remember that name from the Nick Nevin podcast episode we did. Now, she confessed to practicing witchcraft in Scotland in 1662. Isabel claimed she would enter the fairy realm using this fee for to meet with the fairy queen Nick Nevin using the form of a hare as her protector and guide. The hare was seen as her magic form or her fairy to carry out bidding within the other world. And fifors are testament to how shamanic practices run through the heart of the old ways, calling in help or assistance from spirit allies, swapping our human form and knowledge for our spirit allies to enter the other world. So I found a very interesting article on Tumblr by somebody called TipsyCad147. I'll try and link it in the show notes. I did have some problems trying to go back and find the article again, annoyingly. So here is some of the information that I came across. I just want to credit them. It's one thing to magically disguise in some other form, other human or other creature, and another to actually become something else. The first path, the illusion, is called a glamour, and the other path is called shape-shifting. There are many ways proposed in several ancient and modern books to turn into another form of existence. Many modern authors argue that there was never an actual shape-shifting. Although it may feel real, it probably wasn't. So what was it? Well, some witches project in the astral realm and make their astral bodies so thick that others can see and interact with them in their chosen form. In other words, witches perform or performed astral projection and selected a different appearance, for example, an owl. While still an astral body, they interacted with others, giving the impression of shape-shifting. Others believe that shape-shifting can be done through a strong bond with our familiar animal or our totem animal, whichever it may be, we can turn into this animal and then back if our familiar animal or totem allows it. And this happens after a long, loving and caring relationship with this spirit. So here is a spell for shape-shifting you might wish to try. There are said to be many spells for shape-shifting, but this is said to be a safe one that we can all have a go at, should we wish. So the spell that I found had yucca leaves or Joshua tree leaves, as these trees are believed to aid witches and shamans. However, I would like to propose you might want to incorporate some yarrow into this spell. I'm just going with that because here in the UK, that just is a lot easier for me to come by. But I also associate it myself with the shaman and the other world. For this spell, I might simply take a purple candle and carve into the candle the animal I wish to shapeshift into within my journey. I might anoint my candle and roll it in some yarrow prior to burning it for my ritual. Yarrow's correlation with shapeshifting derives from one of its other coined names, Wolf's Tail. Visibly, the silhouette and feathering of the leaves gives it the resemblance of such, so the title is very appropriate. It will be easily presumed that the folk tales surrounding the nickname derive from its appearance, 
and thus it was used in warding off werewolves. This is a time when the idea of werewolves were less Hollywood and more of a traditional term for someone that could shift forms, not necessarily into a wolf, but into the shape of something else entirely. And those shapes were more often than not rather benign creatures such as birds or mice or the hare. The witch trials and spread of Christianity later morphed the concept of shapeshifting into a much more sinister one, therein obviously claiming the accused witches to turn into beasts such as wolves to spread fear. This is a form of mental shapeshifting that will help you to transform into the mental form you wish to take, whatever that may be. So shape-shifting meditation is a form of meditation in which you go to the mental scape in your mind and take on the form of something else, usually an animal or mythical creature. And in doing this, you can learn lessons about the form that you have taken and can experience things from that form's perspective. It will also help to connect you stronger with that form, allowing you to understand it and work with it. If you are able to meditate and get into an altered state of consciousness, you will be able to experience the shape-shifting meditation for yourself. So how to shape-shift meditate? So find a spot where you'll not be disturbed and sit, stand, or lay in a comfortable position in that spot. You might want to wear some loose clothing that will not be restrictive so that you can completely relax. If you'd like, you might want to turn down the lights, put some music on to make yourself more comfortable. You might want to use some shamanic drumming for this. And you may want to light your candle that we prepared for this and say a few words over it. When you're ready, close your eyes and begin to breathe calmly and deeply, allowing your entire body to relax so that you can achieve an altered state of consciousness. Take time to relax all the muscles in your body and to focus inwards. Continue to do this until you are relaxed and have entered a very deep meditational state. Now, visualize in your mind's eye your body as detailed as you can. See your physical form that you presently possess in as much detail as you can. Look through your eyes and see how you see. Experience your form through your perception. Focus on all of yourself in your entirety and hold this image in your mind's eye for a while. Now that you are visualizing yourself, see that image changing into the form you want to take. See your features turn into their features slowly, but surely, starting from one side of your body to the other. Slowly morphing your form into the other form. Remember to take the visualization slow and to do it as detailed as possible until you mentally feel like you have taken the complete form of what you were looking to take. Look through their eyes and try to perceive your mental state in this form. Try to connect on every level with this form in order to become mentally and spiritually the form. Once you've taken on that form and the mental behaviors of that state and experience the world through their eyes, see what you can learn from like whilst you're in that form. See as how that form feels, urges that you might have or anything other than you might be able to experience only in that form. In the state, in this state, you would also be able to create a mental environment in order for you to run around and experience that form. 
This would be such things as, for example, imagining a forest around you if you took the form of a deer or a wolf so that you could run around the forest and experience what it's like to be them for yourself. So this is where the bulk of the meditation happens, where you experience the form, learn and have fun. Focus upon the state and continue to allow it to flourish. You can do this as long as you would like to experience the form. And when you are ready to come out of it, you can move on to this next step. So all you then need to do is imagine your form going back to your original form. And I would say do this gradually, same as you did moving into the other form. So if you're still with me, (laughs) then open your eyes in order to come out of it. Once you like from there, you can go on with the rest of your day with that knowledge and the experience that you have had. You might want to make sure that you kind of have like some grounding following that so maybe like a nutritional meal or if you can sit by a body of water or just anything to kind of bring you back to this mundane world but that's quite intense so have a you know you might want to have a go and see how that feels so that was quite we 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 went quite you know weird and wonderful today and I'm absolutely here for it So that brings us to the end of today's episode. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. I've enjoyed making this actually. I've had a lot of fun. If you like the content I make, I have a book that I've written called The White Witch's Book of Healing. I have a Patreon called The White Witch Coven. Our theme for the month of February is Fairy Witchcraft. Within that, you'll receive Grimoire pages for podcast episodes that you've heard. So there'll be one on there for today's episode. But we also have our monthly meditation. We have our fairy tale. We have our herb pages. So a deep dive into certain herbs. We have our Patreon podcast episode monthly workshop and you have our witchy community within that we have our literary witches coven where we all read a book together for the for each month and yeah come over and join us on there it's six pounds a month to sign up you can cancel at any time you can find me on instagram at the white witch company also facebook the white witch company and yeah hope to connect with you have a great rest of week which is sending you lots and lots of witchy love Mm -hmm.